0: us Story hotline. Alicia? Michael? What's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Claw. Up against the wall. Can't explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that raid line. Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh, no. Hello, everybody. Welcome to an episode of Rain of Troy Radio coming to you on Thursday, December 10th from the Rain of Troy studio in very, very different circumstances than normal. Uh, I'm your host, Alicia D'Artola, and I am not with my co-host, Michael Castillo. Uh, as you guys may have heard on the CarCast, uh, Michael and I both have uh, tested positive for COVID-19. I am on the downswing, fortunately, uh, well enough that I was able to to come on here and, and record a show. But uh, Michael is feeling better, but he has a pretty nasty cough that uh, he can't really... Speak uh, to the degree that that he'd need to to record an episode without breaking into a coughing fit So it's just me uh, Unfortunately this time around and so we're going to try and get you guys a UCLA preview uh, Look ahead to what the Trojans can expect to see from the Bruins and maybe cover some of the news around the program The news relating to the Pac-12 championship game or the scenarios that might unfurl with that and get into some mailbag questions uh, at the very end. So, as always, you know you can find us uh, everywhere that podcasts are are out there, including uh, Omni Studio, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, TuneIn, um, Spreaker, all of the above. Uh, you can find us on on social media, on Twitter, at Rand of Troy, on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Rand of Troy. And you can find us also uh, via email to Rain of Troy at Fansided.com, even though still, unfortunately, we're dealing with a technical problem with that email address. So if you're sending email there right now, uh, we won't be able to see it. At least uh, through Thursday, we won't have seen it. So unfortunately, uh, we'll have to catch up on some of those emails when we get access to that account back. Uh, but uh, you can also, if if you would have sent us an email to talk about uh, the, the game's uh, then you can also find us on Facebook, shoot us a, a, a message on Facebook, or find us on Twitter, shoot us a message on Twitter, or, um, you know, if you are on Patreon, which you can join Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Uh, we're always available uh, through Patreon DMs or in our Patreon Slack channel over with the Rock Crews. So there are ways to contact us outside of email. Unfortunately, that is Currently not a good way to not a good way to reach us. It's all a convergence of of the most random things happening all at once just to make life a little bit more difficult, which uh, is is generally how these things go but we'll we'll get through it and I hope you guys uh, enjoy this episode or at least as, as as much of this episode as I can uh, as I can manage to be coherent for. so uh, let's just without further ado because this is already a mess <laughs> let's get into the news all right everybody uh since we weren't able to do a a a post uh post washington state episode we've got some things to catch up on from earlier in the week uh and and unfortunately you know we only get so many weeks where we get a game uh in a year and this year it's just been Absolute carnage as far as the, what we've been able to do on game weeks. But uh, but the big news on Monday that we woke up to was that Pala Ateote uh has entered the transfer portal. So that's a starting linebacker for USC, although we haven't seen him for a few weeks because he's been in concussion protocol. Uh, he had uh, started the season with Raylan Goforth, and inside linebacker, and and frankly didn't look all that impressive. But it's a shame that we won't get to see him for the rest of the season to see if he would have made the same progress that we've seen from guys like Raylan Goforth and Kenai Malga, uh, so that's a that's a disappointment given the the talent level that he had. But uh, you know, it was also one of those things that has been talked about for the better part of a year, where when a player is clearly not thriving in your system, uh, eventually they're going to look elsewhere, and I think that that's what's uh, what's going on with Ianateote. Uh, he obviously USC has always been very good with the transfer portal people leaving the door open for them to come back and that's exactly what Clay Helton did uh at least he, he talked about doing in his um in his press conferences this week so there's always the possibility that EA will get a look outside and and decide to come back to USC but for now USC has to progress Without him, Uh, what that means is that linebacker depth is an absolute mess. At least for this year, for the rest of this year, the plus side is that Raylan Goforth was able to practice this week on Thursday. Clay Hilton said that uh, that he expects to play this weekend. So that's one linebacker that USC has back that they can have. Goforth and Kanai Malga out there. They have Raymond Scott as a uh, as a, a safety valve there, and you know eventually maybe. Taylor Katoa will be available. It's hard to say what his status is not being able to be at practice this year, but that's pretty much it. Um, the The plus side is that Talano Hufanga looked exceptional in that hybrid linebacker role for USC against Washington state. And they've been uh, very willing to deploy him there uh, against the right kind of offense. Uh, UCLA, I don't know is quite as suited to a, a dime look on every down uh, but at the very least, you know that Hafanga can come up and play a role for USC as a linebacker if they really need him to. And uh, it's good its good to have that sort of in your back pocket. But for now, depth at linebacker is extremely, extremely low, and it has been all season. But the plus side is that next year, in theory, USC gets back Jordan Iosefa. USC gets back Elijah Winston and uh, and uh, Solomon Tuliapupu. And they will be able to bring in some some linebackers in the new recruiting class. So um, that's something that, that USC is going to have to just sort of make it through this year with. Uh, the, I mean, one of the news things that came out as well, not that it was news, it's just sort of been rumbling under the surface pretty much forever, that uh, Maan Naateote, N- T- the brother of Pali Nateote, T- 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 is not expected to sign with USC even though he's committed in this class. So that's another linebacker lost, but that one has been sort of floating around there for a while now, and uh, and USC has other guys um, that they're going to have to rely on, like Julian uh, Julian Simon and and um, <clears throat> and maybe Anthony Beavers or one of those kinds of guys. So it's just a situation USC's going to have to have to work with, but it's another linebacker class that really there was a lot of bright, bright, bright hopes connected to it and it just hasn't come together and and when it comes to Naoteote, it's it's particularly disappointing because uh, what he looked like in that debut that he had against Colorado, what he looked like uh, the, the the talent level that we saw from him, but he really hasn't been the same since the middle of that first season and last year was, he just, he wasn't at the races, this year he didn't seem to take the steps that that he needed to, but we didn't really get to see him take those those next steps, so Uh, It's just a bummer, just an absolute bummer. Another bummer, another intrigue that's just going on, unfolding on this Thursday as I record this, is um, what's going on with COVID-19 in the conference, in the Pac-12 conference. The situation as it stands now is that Washington and Oregon, their game this weekend that was pretty much going to resolve the Pac-12 South title, uh, that is no-go because Washington is well below the 53-man limit for availability to play because of the COVID-19 outbreak that they have. Um, that is a big deal for both of those teams. Number one, it locks in Washington as the champion of the North, just by virtue of Oregon doesn't have the opportunity to, to hand them another loss. So they're going to be, uh, they're going to clinch the North by not playing. Uh, but the bigger question going forward is obviously um, who USC Assuming USC can beat UCLA this weekend, uh, assuming things go in the. <laughs> all of these have to be assumed. Assume, we're, assume that we're just taking the path of least resistance to any of these scenarios because doing anything else is just. It will melt your brain. It's really not fun to do. Um, assume that USC wins the Pac 12 South. Then the question would be who will they play on championship weekend? And. Right now, if USC just takes care of business against UCLA, they will play Washington. The problem being, uh, and USC would host Washington at the Coliseum, the problem being that Washington is, according to reports, well below the 53-man limit, and the local uh, health officials, we don't know yet what quarantine rules that they're going to impose, as we talked about with this, with, with regards to USC, uh, we weren't sure. Are they going by the fourteen days? Are they going by the new ten days? Are they going by the new seven days with a negative? Um, it's 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 hard to say. And so, if Washington is under the sort of longer quarantine rules, the fourteen days, then they're definitely not going to be able to play um, next week in the in the title game. Um, if they have cases that are continuing to spread if this isn't just a you know uh, they got hit with this bubble they took care of it very quickly and then there are no continuing further on cases that are extended out um, then then they'll have a chance to play but we don't know that yet we don't know what the situation there uh, as far as their avi- their availability so that would open up a can of worms as far as well who's going to replace them if they can't play the obvious replacement would be Oregon is uh, the second place team in the Pac-12 North uh, which funnily enough would give us the Pac-12 title game that everyone expected but uh, certainly no one wants now given that Oregon has lost a couple times and um then there's also the other scenario where because USC and Colorado were unable to play you have two undefeated teams in the in the Pac-12 South again path of least resistance let's say that USC beats UCLA and Colorado beats Utah then both would still be undefeated, and there have been talks all week about whether or not USC and Colorado should play in that Pac-12 title game instead because they have the two best records. And I'm open to that uh, to that idea. Um, I I do I do lean towards the idea that the divisions exist for a reason. I've never understood the point of having divisions if you're not going to abide by them. And so the Pac-12 title game should be between the North division champion and the South division champion. But if we're talking about, you know, if, if we're talking about not, not the idea of Washington gets kicked out because Oregon is undefeated scenario, then I'm much more open to the idea of, well, if you, if you're not going to have the North division champion anyways available, then just throw all the rules out of the window and create your best matchup. And that would be USC versus Colorado, assuming that both of those teams win this weekend. Um, the the discussions have been you know should they just cha- go to who has the best record who's ranked the highest in the in the college football playoff um all of these things are are a above my pay grade and b um kind of moot until we know what the scenario is right like we could be having all of these discussions and USC could lose to UCLA and then Colorado's in the t- title game and it's all whatever um, you know, Colorado could lose to Washington. Same deal, uh, not to Washington to Utah. Same deal. You know, it's uh, it's it's all of these things are are hard to say. Washington could be available to play, and then you know you'd have a a more fair title game matchup uh for those teams. It's it just there's so many moving parts here that I think discussing scenarios at this point, aside from the scenario that I've I've been in favor of, you know, from the get go. Why not just play another game? You know why? Why not just have USC and UCLA, sorry USC and Colorado play next week, and then have them have the Pac-12 settle their championship on Christmas, uh, on 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 the Friday or the Saturday after Christmas, and acknowledge pretty much that the Pac-12 isn't going to put somebody in the in the in the college football playoff, and it's stupid for the college football playoff to be stuck in the dates that it's currently stuck in, anyways. So just, you know, crown your champion the way you need to crown your champion. If you need to wait a week in order to crown your champion, then do that. Um, You know, on the flip side, I think there are a lot of people who just want the season to be done. And, uh, you know, Boston College on Thursday, they opted out of playing a a bowl game and they sort of told the team, like, hey, you're going to get to go home and spend Christmas with your families and everybody cheered. So, like, you know, maybe teams are just done. Maybe they don't have any interest in in sticking in their not bubbles uh through christmas. I I don't know. It's 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 a very difficult uh, scenario, but it just seems to me that they are playing by these arbitrary dates that that if you're that concerned with being fair and letting Colorado compete for the for the championship, then just move the day back so that you don't have uh m- move the week back, move the game back so that you don't have a scenario where you're leaving somebody out. You you have infinite number of dates to get this done if you really want to. But it's a question of does anybody really want to? Um, that's uh that's that's the big con- the big concern there. Just from the um from the pac12 perspective, all of these things take effort. and you know, sometimes the effort uh, in certain areas is is not uh, no one's willing to to put forward that effort uh, for the sake of it. So uh, that's that's pretty much where USC uh, finds itself as far as looking ahead to a potential Pac-12 title game uh title game bout but of course you know first things first they got to beat UCLA and they got to be careful not to get caught looking forward at who a potential matchup could be because they have to take care of business if they lose to UCLA they will not win the south um and that's a you know that's that's it's happened before that USC is not taking UCLA as seriously as they needed to and, and had it Uh, throw a wrench in their season so that's the big the big effort this week has to be on on uh, you know a very strange rivalry week it doesn't even feel like rivalry week to me because I've lost half the week Um, but uh, I I can't imagine that it feels like a normal rivalry week for the rest of you because it's just such a strange time uh, to be playing football so um, you know we don't have the normal you know we don't have conquests and we don't have the normal bonfires and and all the other pageantry that you get from a from a uh a, a rivalry game and so we just got to make the best of it and and see how this comes together uh for for saturday so um that's the last bit of of news to cover is is what's going on with usc's injuries um which will have a role to play in uh, in saturday's game and uh, you may have already heard this but greg johnson is out for the season with a torn meniscus jude wolf is out for the season with a broken bone in his foot. Uh, the good news is that offensive guard Liam Jimmins and linebacker Raylan Goforth have been able to practice this week and are both expected to play, uh, but Dorian Hewitt, the cornerback, is out with a concussion. So the injury news is mostly positive on the starters front with uh, Jimmins and Goforth available. Um, it's a bummer for Greg Johnson, but on the on the flip side, An injury to Greg Johnson means that Max Williams is probably going to see a lot more playing time, and I really enjoy Max Williams as a player. I think he did a really good job coming in for Greg Johnson when he did against Washington State, and I think that he's somebody that USC can definitely rely on and uh, that I look forward to see playing a little bit more often. Uh, Jude Wolf being out is, is obviously really disappointing given that we were hoping for a lot from Jude Wolf this year and haven't really gotten it. But haven't really gotten much um, of anything from from the tight end position, which is always just seeming to flounder in in a situation of not knowing what to do with it. Uh, but Eric Cromenhock should still be in there, and uh, and you know we've seen that he can be a weapon for USC as, as just that guy that no one's paying attention to, and so we'll see how that goes uh, with uh, with him. But pretty pretty thin at, at tight end for USC as well, so it'll be interesting to see what USC does to deal with that. Um that's going to cut it for the uh, the news this week. Um it's it's a weird weird week and I I um I've got to say that uh, it's it's been strange being uh being off this week and not sort of having my nose right there in the news, um sort of having to review it from afar almost. So that's uh, that's unfortunate, but uh, you know, we get through another week of, of stuff, and and now we get to look forward to uh, what USC can can expect to see from UCLA. So uh, we will be right back to talk about the Bruins. All right, so UCLA, who are these Bruins in the year 2020, the year of our core? Uh, the the Bruins are a, a very strange team. They're three and two, and they they sure looked like a bit of a dumpster fire in week one uh, against Colorado. And the Buffaloes came up big on them, and 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 looked like they were going to be blowing them out. Only for UCLA to to pull off a little bit of a comeback there, even though they still got the loss. Since then, they've actually looked pretty good. Uh, they have uh, they they took Oregon to the wire, almost pulled off that upset. And uh, and I've gotten wins over over Arizona and NASU, um, so they're they're a team that I think is probably improved from previous years. Last year they were four and eight under Chip Kelly, and and now they are pl- over five hundred for the first time uh, under Chip Kelly. So that is definitely improvement. It's just I guess the question of how much improvement is there really. And in in a shortened season where we didn't get to see them in out of conference play, uh, where we where we've only sort of had them pull off wins against a Cal team that has been short of expectations, an Arizona team that has been short of expectations, well had zero expectations to begin with, and an Arizona State team that was missing you know their starting secondary and and has been out for weeks with uh, with COVID nineteen it's it's almost like their losses have been more impressive than their wins not their wins haven't been impressive it's just they've been sort of routine and uh, and so i think it's a little bit hard to gauge well is this a, a ucla team that is playing good enough football to beat to beat the teams that they should beat and then challenge the the tougher teams on the schedule being colorado and uh, and and oregon the fact that usc hasn't played colorado or oregon means that you know we don't have a reference point for what USC looked like against those teams, uh, USC not playing Cal means we don't have a reference point for what uh, for what USC would look like against those teams. So we we'll only really have the Arizona games and the, the Arizona schools, and those are even harder to to sort of make sense of because of the state of each of those programs compared to when USC played them. It's a it's it's just a wild wild season. Uh, but let's go through some of the things to know about UCLA uh, for this matchup. They are. Fortieth in s Plus, which is definitely an improvement from last year. Again, showing signs of signs of life from Chip Kelly's Bruins. In offense, they are thirtieth. In defense, they are sixty-eighth. And in special teams, they are tenth. So they're doing something right on the special teams side of things. Uh, last year, USC pretty much trounced UCLA, fifty-two to thirty-five. Uh, but uh, it's it's going to be an interesting situation with USC going to the Rose Bowl and with UCLA sort of finding their stride later on in this season. So let's talk about that UCLA offense. Uh, They are third in the Pac-12 in points per game and in yards per game. They are averaging 32.6 points per game and 430.6 yards per game. Uh, They're also fourth in in, uh, yards per play with 5.88 yards per play. Uh, And they are second in rushing yards. They're averaging 227.6 rushing yards per game. They're averaging 506 yards per carry, which is fourth in the Pac-12. And uh, they're not as much of a passing team for sure. They are averaging 203 passing yards per game, which is ninth in the Pac-12. But a passer rating, uh, Dorian Dorian Thompson-Robinson who is just easier to refer to as DTR, to be frank, uh, and his replacement uh, for a couple of games in the middle of the season, Chase Griffin, have combined to have the, uh, what is it, it's the third best passer rating in the Pac-12 with 137.07 passer rating. So the offense, they they are moving. They are chugging along. Um, they have sort of found their groove. There were some questions about whether or not their running game would fall off with the loss of Joshua Kelly, but it really hasn't. Uh, they have found a running back in Demetric Felton who is more than ready to carry that load. He's averaging 115 yards per game and 5.21 yards per carry. He has five touchdowns in this shortened season. Um, the other interesting thing to note is Demetric Felton has been exceptional as a runner for the Bruins, but they also have a, a pretty bright backup in Britton Brown. Uh, he's averaging 6.3 yards per carry. He has three touchdowns. So when Demetric Felton has to come off the field to to rest or or to you know take a breather, Britton Brown is able to come in and he's been explosive for the Bruins. So that's something to keep an eye out for. Uh, as USC has been able to uh, avoid some major gashing on the on the ground game so far this year, but they also and this is this would have been really interesting if they had played Colorado. We would have seen what. That rushing offense, which is absolutely torn through the Pac-12 this year, what they might look like against USC's defense, uh, which has looked better across the board. But again, it, it, we need some reference points here to really stage how much better USC's defense is, how forceful UCLA's uh, rushing offense has been. So that's just something to keep in mind. Um, the other the other names to note uh, in in the in the skill positions for UCLA are. Greg Dulcich, uh, who is the tight end this year's designated productive tight end for UCLA, he is averaging three point two catches per game and sixty two point four yards per game. He has two touchdowns and he's leading them in uh, in in passing. Uh, sorry, in receiving yards. But it's been a weird season for him because he was sort of looking like that next crazy good UCLA tight end to start with. Uh, He had four receptions for 126 yards against Colorado. Sort of he was rolling in the first part of the season with 80 yards against California, against Cal, and then 55 yards against Oregon. But in the last two games, he's had four catches for, sorry, one catch for 23 yards and four catches for 28 yards. So the Bruins are either not getting as much out of them, out of him as they were before, or teams have keyed in on how to limit his production, and that uh, that is keeping him from having a major impact uh, in, this, in this latter stage of the season, but he is somebody that USC will have to take note of and will have to key in on and make sure that he isn't allowed to go off. Um, they will also have to keep an eye on Kyle Phillips, who USC should be familiar with. He leads the team with 23 catches. What I think is interesting about UCLA and their passing offense, which is led by DTR, He's having a pretty decent season, 147.17 passer rating, and uh, eight touchdowns to just two interceptions. Um, the the turnover situation for uh, for DTR and the backup Chase Griffin so far they they've been much more um, careful with the ball as far as as interceptions go, um, but are, you know still still can be prone to you know. The, the occasional worry as far as uh, ball security, but ball security hasn't really been an issue so far uh, to to the degree that uh, you have to look at and call like DTR a turnover machine, which he's been in the past. I don't think he's been that so much this year. He also can use his legs. Uh, he's averaging 70 yards per game on the ground and he has three touchdowns on the ground. So um DTR is is uh, still the sort of same erratic playmaker that he's been, but he's kind of playing within himself a little bit. Uh, I I have seen on Twitter conversations about whether or not Chase Griffin is a better long term option for UCLA as far as just being a little bit more under control, and uh, and that has been a debate since they put uh, DTR back in after he he was injured. Um, sorry, not injured. He was presumed to be COVID positive and had to sit out a couple games and Chase Griffin came in and he didn't light up the world. His numbers weren't anything particularly special, but he sort of passed the eye test for for UCLA. And when they can rely on the running game, when you can rely on Dimitri Felton and uh, and Britton Brown and those guys, then I could see the argument for take the more conservative, just, just game manager kind of stuff that Chase Griffin was doing and let the run game be the the make or break for this for this offense where DTR is the make or break of this offense if he if he's playing. So I I'm curious uh, this game we expect DTR to be the guy. He might be suited to playing USC given the 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 rushing threat that he is given USC's problems with with quarterbacks that are like that. But we also know that USC has gotten the better of him in in their previous matchups where USC was able to to sort of keep him from from being a factor. And so uh, if USC can get the, the the requisite amount of pressure on him, force him into making some mistakes, then that'll be the key uh, to, USC's, to USC's defense. But uh, the interesting thing about this offense is they have really spread the ball around to a lot of different players. It's not just, you know, in the running game, you know Dimitri Felton is your guy, but you also have Britton Brown who's able to be effective. And in the passing game, it's not just Greg Dulcich Dulcic that's, you know, just getting every target in under the sun, or Kyle Phillips that's getting every target under the sun. They're spreading the ball around to the point where nine different Bruins have caught touchdown passes this year. Now, uh you have, you know, <laughs> there's only like eleven touchdown passes to be caught, and uh and nine of them have gone to different players. It's it's Dulcich has two, and then everybody else has one. There's another eight guys on that team that have one touchdown pass each. Now um that's good in terms of being able to find guys to get into the end zone at different times and that means you have to account for all of those different players uh, at a certain point, but it also means they don't necessarily have that one go-to reliable guy uh, or at least they haven't shown it uh, in any throughout the, any stretch of the, of this season that uh, USC really, really needs to key in on and worry about, so sort of double-edged sword there. Um, you'd, you'd obviously like to have that big, big playmaker, but if you're able to have everybody be playmakers then, you know, no harm there. So UCLA's offense is definitely the the aspect of this game that USC needs to worry about the most. Um uh, the 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 plus side is that USC's defense has really come along in the past few weeks and I'm actually very excited to see them up against this test, you know. Washington State is still in the infancy with the run and shoot. Uh, they have the, Jaden DeLora is a, is a bright young quarterback, but he really looked like a young quarterback in that game against USC. And uh, this is going to be a different situation where UCLA has been in the Chip Kelly system for years now. They all know how this works. DTR is a veteran quarterback. He knows how this works. Um, so this is, this is the big test for this defense and for Todd Orlando to show that he— can have uh, the right ideas to take care of these kinds of playmakers. Is he going to put a spy on DTR? Is he going to use Talano Fanga in in creative ways? You know, how are how are USC's um, uh, linebackers going to show out in this game? What what's the defensive front going to look like? All of those things uh, is is going to be very very interesting to see uh, because it, it is going to it is going to determine how this game how this game obviously goes out and the the recent evidence from USC is that they can get it done but this is a new test this is a new challenge and uh, and it will be fun to see it all play out uh, on the defensive side of the ball this is where UCLA is having more trouble this year uh but they they're not as bad as they've been in the past in the past the defense has been really awful uh for UCLA and uh this year they're actually sort of getting their stuff together. I don't think they're perfect still. I don't think that they're uh, super reliable yet, but they are coming together uh, to the point where they are third in the Pac-12 in points allowed per game, only giving up 24.8 per game. Uh, they're giving up 373 yards per game, which is sixth in the Pac-12. So not great, but it's also not, you know, in the in the basement as far as the Pac-12 is concerned. What's impressive is in terms of yards per play, they're only allowing 5.12 yards per play, which is top's in the Pac-12 um and they and they're doing well against um against the rush and the pass for the most part. They're allowing 143.6 rushing yards per game, which is third in the Pac-12. 3.68 yards per carry, which is second. And then in the passing game, their uh, opponent passer rating is 120 point uh 120.62, which is third in the Pac-12. The only area on those on those in those stats is um Of concern is pass yards per game, which is two hundred twenty nine point four that they're allowing, which is eighth in the Pac twelve. But again, like that's not doorst, you know, that's not uh, uh, basement kind of stuff. That's not that's not getting curb stomped left and right uh, kind of stuff as far as USC's defense, uh, UCLA's defense is concerned. Um, So it's it's I don't know if that's a if again is this a huge turnaround. From UCLA, where they are starting to find their feet in this defense, or is this a reflection of the sort of the teams they're playing? Uh, They kept Arizona and Arizona State to 10 and 18 points per game, respectively, and they kept Cal to 10 points per game, uh, to 10 points in that game, too. So those are really, really nice performances from them. And USC certainly can't talk because they gave up a hell of a lot more to Arizona and a hell of a lot more to Arizona State. Um. Then again, the good offenses that, that, that uh, UCLA has played so far this year, the Colorados and the Oregons of the world, each put up you know quite a bit more points. So Colorado scored forty-eight, and Oregon scored thirty-eight. In and both of those were losses. So UCLA is um has done well when the defense has been able to hold the opposing team in check but uh, the two losses speak for themselves you can't win a, you're not going to win a game when you give up 48 points you're not going to win a game when you give up 38 points so uh USC is an offense that uh, you know arguably USC can certainly claim to be the most high powered offense that UCLA will face this year the thing is that USC's offense needs to prove that they're high powered even against uh against a rival and even against themselves you know because USC's offense is is so much about whether or not they're shooting themselves in the foot or not, uh, about whether or not they are taking advantage of the of the opportunities that are put in front of them, and too often this year and and in previous years we've seen USC not be able to maximize uh, what it is that they're trying to do on offense, and we've seen that you know just just from the the mere fact that USC sure they're averaging thirty three points per game this year, but they haven't been able to hit the 40 point mark even though they've looked like they had the firepower to do it um and they it just feels like they're leaving a touchdown or two on the on the field every week and it, you know you can get away with that you have gotten away with that in games where you've been able to to outscore your opponents thanks to you know fourth quarter theatrics and and uh first quarter blitzes but uh but at the same time eventually you're going to run into an offense that's going to give your defense a little bit more of a trouble uh, and if UCLA is that team, then USC is going to have to not squander opportunities. And now at this stage in the season, they can't use the excuse of, well, it's early on and we're still shaking off the rest. Well, now is the time that you really got to start taking that step forward. This week, USC doesn't get to, you know, fortunately, USC is able to practice with the offensive line all week. <laughs> that's, that's a big plus, right? So uh, the, the quarterback is looking sharp and uh the 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 offense really should be coming into its own at this stage so UCLA's defense has has been able to hold their own against a few a few teams but we've seen the cracks show against Oregon and Colorado USC really needs to make sure that they are also one of those teams that uh, that goes after this UCLA defense some uh, some names to know as far as the Bruins are concerned. Steven Blaylock is leading the team. Uh, it's safety. He's leading the team in tackles. I'm always concerned when I look at a team and I see that a safety is leading the team in tackles. So take that for what it's worth. Um, Caleb Johnson is one of the inside linebackers. He's got six point uh, sorry six tackles for loss and four point five sacks. So they are blitzing him and he is getting home. Um, the outside linebacker Mitchell Aquide, uh, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I apologize if I'm not. He has forced three fumbles this year. Uh, dude is 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 doing work on this, as far as being a turnover machine. He leads the team with seven point five tackles for loss. He has two QB hurries and two and a and a pass breakup. So, uh, he is out there doing work, making havoc, and definitely somebody US, USC needs to keep an eye on. And then on the defensive line, you got uh, another name that's just gonna flummox me. Uh, Osa. Odig hi uh, i I apologize I can't even do it osa osa O uh is uh six tackles for loss and four sacks this year from the defensive line every time I watch u s uh, ucla I hear his name I hear uh Odigizua, who i I think I'm over I think I'm you know when you have a, a name that's not as difficult as you think it is, but your main brain makes it so, and then so you fumble over it? I'm pretty sure I'm doing that with his name, Uh, Odigizua, Odigizua. uh But either way, he is a baller, and uh, and USC's offensive line is going to have something to deal with there uh, as far as uh, uh, keeping him in check. So uh, UCLA does have some some guys out there that I think are... are Intriguing uh, defenders to have to deal with some familiar names too. I mean, uh, Daytona Jackson, another starter on the defensive line, was a a guy that was committed to USC or was going to commit to USC. Um, uh, inside linebacker starter Bo Calvert was committed to USC before he, that trade with uh, Abdul Malik McLean, and uh, and and you know some some other guys like Quentin Lake and uh, and and company in that def- in that uh, defensive secondary that I think uh, can do damage if they are on the thing is that uh, very few defenses have the firepower to go toe to toe with USC so long as USC makes them pay for it so that's something that um that uh, USC has to again this is the ball is in USC's court on that front as far as I'm concerned uh is with the with the uh Matchup between USC's offense and U- UCLA's defense, so um, it's an intri- intriguing matchup. I think UCLA is is more of a test than they were last year. I think UCLA does seem to be taking steps forward. They have managed the uh, the pandemic year pretty well uh, to to be at the point that they're at, where they're three and two, and potentially could be four and two if they get one over on USC. But uh, it's USC's job to make sure that uh, UCLA doesn't get one over on USC. So. Um, Let's get into the 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 crux of this one uh, with some over unders, which uh, Michael is not here for, but I still have his picks. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. Okay. So last week against Washington State, I trounced Michael four to two, um, but I was not one of the three perfect scores that we had from the listeners. So big shout out to Dave in Orange County, JB Trojans 9 and uh, Powell from Chicago for their perfect week six and hell of a hell of a job, guys, with those picks. And uh, and I think I think that Michael updated the leaders for the season over on here, which we've still got Yoni in first place. We've got a two way tie for second place with Ryan from Arizona and Shod from Mid City ish. And then we've got in fourth place a tie between Dave and Orange County, our buddy Steve in the Bay Area, and Powell from Chicago. So y'all are are killing it. I am certainly not. Michael is certainly not. But uh, we will talk more about the season-long over-under, over-unders um, next week when Michael's here to break down the numbers a little bit more thoroughly for us. But uh, obviously this week we will have over-unders as well. You guys can uh, check out the over-under Uh, the spreadsheet that we do, well not the spreadsheet, the the form, the quiz that we're going to put out, the link for, so that you can participate in over-unders as well. For this week um, this is going to be the weirdest over-under segment ever because it's just me talking about them, but my first over-under, which I'm trying to stump you and Michael with, is 170.5 rushing yards for UCLA. Uh, The reason for this is that UCLA hasn't had less than 171 rushing yards in a game this season. Uh, they had 171 against ASU last week. And USC has given up uh, 170 or more just just once against ASU. They gave up 258. Uh, the thing is, USC's rush defense has generally been improving week to week. And I sort of was trying to figure out, is this a function of... Um, of the opponent and their willingness to run or anything like that, and it just doesn't seem to follow any trend. But at the very least they gave up, uh, they gave up the 258 against ASU with a 6.79 yards per carry in the first week. Uh, and then against Arizona, it was 158 with 3.95 yards per carry. And then against Utah, it was 111 with 3.96 yards per carry. And then against Wazoo, it was 73 with 2.70 yards per carry. So you see that trending mark going down. Uh, but I can't tell is that uh, teams are just getting worse at running the ball or USC is getting better at stopping them from do it doing it. UCLA is the first bona fide strong rushing team that USC will play this year. And uh and and I think that this will be a really, really cool test for USC. So will they give up 171 rushing yards to UCLA or will they keep below their their season average and um keep UCLA to their lowest total of the season at, at 170 or lower. So I guess one seventy point five rushing yards for UCLA. Um Michael's first over-under is 3.5 Keaton Slovis touchdown passes. So he threw for four touchdowns four times in the second half of last season. He had five against Washington State, and that's the first time he's had five this season. So is this going to be another big touchdown game for Keaton Slovis is the question that Michael is asking uh, me and you, all listeners. Personally, I think that... This is a game where where Slovis is probably more likely to have more touchdown passes, but I like part of me worries, it's a little smidge of me worries that like USC is gonna feel so determined to correct that terrible rushing figure from last week that they're gonna like go crazy with the running and 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 maybe that'll change some of this some of the way this works but I still think it's probably more likely than not that Slovis is the the key figure here for USC so I'm going to take the over even though it makes me a bit uncomfortable it's a bit uncomfortable uh to say that he will have four or five because just you know it's more likely but at the same time like he could have three and still have a really good game it's just you know one of those things um my next over-under is 90.5 rushing yards for USC. Like I said, USC had five rushing yards against Washington State, and it was awful. Uh, and, uh, and and the question is, how much better can they be this week? Um, so last year against UCLA, USC had 128 rushing yards. This year, UCLA is giving up an average of 143.6 rushing yards per game, but... That number is heavily impacted by giving up 264 against Colorado in Week One. Um, Colorado is a team that is putting up 300 rushing yards on pretty much every opponent that they face. So I don't know that we can judge UCLA so much on on the uh, on the. Uh, what Colorado did to their rushing defense. In the four games since that game, that opener, UCLA is averaging 113.5 given up uh, in in rushing yards per game. So 90.5 for USC. Will USC be able to put in a, a respectable rushing number in this game or will the rushing woes continue? Um, that is that is my question for you and for Michael. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Uh, Michael's next over-under is 1.5 UCLA turnovers. So UCLA had four turnovers in the losses to Colorado and Oregon, but they've only had one turnover in their three wins. So four turnovers and two losses, one turnover in three wins. USC is leading the Pac-12 in turnover margin this year. Shocker. Genuine shocker because USC has not had a positive turnover margin under Clay Helton yet, and they're going to do it this year short of insanity. Uh, so they are plus six on the turnover margin this year, and they have forced eight turnovers in the last two games. So, is the turnover luck going to continue, basically, is what Michael is asking. Will UCLA have 1.5 or more turnovers? Um, I This is such a tough line because my instinct would be to say just go with the under and just just be safe like that but 1.5 is 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 feels sm- like you can have one just one pass be errant and and that's a, a an interception and then you know one uh muff punt or something stupid like that and suddenly you're at two turnovers so i am going to go with the over here um i think michael is is setting some some immense lines in this uh in this week because uh, that is, uh, I do not feel comfortable at all taking that over, but I I feel like I have to because USC is forcing turnovers. I am always wary of DTR and this UCLA offense as far as being, you know, playing a clean football game. So yeah, I'll go over there, but uh, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. All right. My next over under my last over under is 6.5 penalties for USC. USC had 11 penalties against Arizona, but in the other three games they've played, they've only had five each. So UC, USC is is sort of leading the Pac-12 in, in number of penalties per game. But in three of the four games, they've sort of been at a respectable five, whereas that that one game against Arizona has been the outlier so far. Interestingly... UCLA opponents lead the Pac-12 with 8.2 penalties per game. So the teams that you, that UCLA is playing have had 8.2 penalties per game so far this season, which is a lot. That's a, that's tops in the Pac-12. So um, is that a just random like UCLA is forcing you into weird situations or is that just like a refs like powder blue or uh, I, I don't know, whatever it is, just solar flares or something like that. I don't know. But will USC be able to stay in that range of, of of five-ish penalties, or will we see another game where USC's up at, at you know, 9, 10, or 11 um, for this one? So the line is 6.5 penalties for USC. Uh, and then Michael's final over-under is 59.5 receiving yards for Greg Dulcich, the UCLA tight end. He had 126 at Colorado, 80 at Cal, 55 at Washington, only 23 and 28 in the last two weeks, as I pointed out earlier. Um, so will he have more receiving yards this year, uh, this this time around? I am inclined to say yes. I am inclined to say yes, and, um, and I, I can't exactly say why. I'm just sort of like I could see him having like a 75-yard receiving game where it's not devastating to USC. But it's just it's just there. Um, USC does have Greg Johnson out, uh, so they may be looking to target the nickel or whoever is in that slot corner role uh, this this week. Uh, UCLA might be. So um, if I were them, I certainly would try to target Greg Dulcich when 5'9", uh, you know, five nine Max Williams is is there trying to cover him. So uh, that's uh, that's something to something to to think about. I'm going with the over there. Uh, but uh, 59.5 receiving yards. As I mentioned, UCLA has been spreading the ball out to literally everybody, so it's very hard to uh, to make that guess for sure. Uh, but those are the over unders. As I said earlier, uh, go find the link that we'll put in the show notes uh, for, de- for uh, filling out your own over under so you can compete with us and uh, all of the fellow listeners who uh, submit their picks. So yeah, that's over under, um, which means we're now at the stage of the of the show where I have to do my least favorite thing which is make a game prediction. Um I don't feel good about this game but USC does. I'm uh, sorry, Michael does. He has USC 33 UCLA 24. I think that's a pretty decent score projection. Um I do think it's a rivalry game. I do think UCLA is going to play USC very tough. I do think USC is going to shoot themselves in the foot a couple times, but I also think UCLA is going to shoot themselves in the foot a couple times. So I'm going to go with a a very, very nervy and very unsatisfying and very frustrating to watch. Um, Let's go 34 to 32 game um, that is just not fun at all. Like, not at all. Um, That's just, I don't know. I, I just, I don't have high hopes for this being a very entertaining weekend, but who knows? Maybe it's a, maybe it will be. Um, so those are, those are the game predictions for Michael and I. Uh, let's close this thing up with a mailbag. You've got mail. Alright, so let's go to some questions in the Rot Slack crew. Uh, one from Evan. I heard a couple broadcasters of another Pac-12 team saying that we should call Justin Wilcox and Ed Orgeron to be our head coach. Is there any shot that happens? Why would we hire somebody that we've already dumped? Also, is there any reason to think they would be upgrades anyway? Um, I think that uh, those, those. That's the, the the last question is the is the money question. There would they be upgrades? I think that Ed Orgeron at this point, uh has burned some bridges to USC, but then again, the previous regime is is no longer there. Uh, so maybe they would be more open to the idea of bringing Edo back. But um, in order to get Edo from LSU, you'd need to have LSU dump Edo. And at that point, you would say, well, now, you know, why <laughs> if you see if he wasn't good enough for UC, for for LSU, then you know, don't retread him at USC would be, I think it would be a big, big mistake. Um, Justin Wilcox would be intriguing. Um, I'd really like to see him somewhere other than Cal have some sustained success. And uh, sustained success is something that I'm really looking for as far as potential head coaching candidates, because uh, I'm sort of tired of the, of the, well, they did once, they did good once, and then they sort of fall off a cliff. But uh, with Justin Wilcox, it's so hard to tell because Cal is in such a dire straits financially, and this season hasn't been good for them at all. Uh, but uh, but I guess that the sort of the underlying thing here is USC is not firing Clay Helton, so <laughs> these these are conversations that are happening probably a year too early. Um, all right, we got a question from Dave in Orange County. Are we gonna see Brew with a big game against the Bruins? See what I did there. Um, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown obviously had a huge game against Washington State, and London has been huge all season. So that leaves Tyler or Brew to sneak up for a seven catch, eighty-five to one hundred and ten yard game, right? Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's entirely possible that either one of those guys comes comes up with that kind of big game. Uh, I would love it for Brew McCoy to have a, a big game, but uh, Tyler Rons is, is as good of a candidate as well. It's just so hard to say one week to another, you know? Like... Amon Ross St. Brown hadn't caught a touchdown pass before last week and well before Sunday and then boom there he goes with four so it's just whoever pops up on any given day is just going to be the guy so we'll have to see um you know throw a dice and then that'll tell you which which guy is going to have the most catches in any given day there's there's a reason I didn't set an over under based on that (laughs) because I'm just tired of getting burned um Dave also asked, how many freshmen O line should we expect to play on Saturday? I think you'll see um, a couple again. I think you'll see Cortland Ford and I think you'll see Jonah Monheim, uh, just as part of the sort of the the, the rotation. But I think that uh, that uh, Liam Jimmons has been practicing, so he I would expect him to start. But you might just sort of s- see those guys get mixed in a little bit more often. Um, was it just me, or did Slovis look really good last week? Especially nice to see some pretty long balls. Yeah, I thought he was throwing the ball very well. There were a couple where it just after he got sacked, he just sent them off into the into the solar system, and I don't know why. But in general, I thought his arm looked uh, looked pretty pretty clean. Uh, he didn't seem to have the velocity problems that we've that we've seen from the past. But maybe it just wasn't windy or wet or dry out there at the Coliseum. I have no idea. Um. We have also questions from Sean from Mid-City-ish. So he asks, Utah, Colorado, who you got? Colorado playing at home, but are only 1.5 point favorites. I'm hoping that the debate about Colorado is solved by Utah unless the Pac-12 agrees to do a USC-Colorado championship game. Then I'm all in for Colorado to beat Utah. I I'm I'm very much in the same boat. Uh, nothing against Colorado because I I love the story, but I I kind of need Utah to beat Colorado just so we don't have to have the arguments about who should be playing in the Pac-12 title game. Um, just for my own sanity because I think it's a just it's a crapshoot and I don't think anybody really wins. Um, I I do I do gotta say I'll take Colorado though. I. I don't know if Utah maybe they just come alive later in the season, but I still gotta take Colorado. Um their run game has been too good. The, the uh Broussard, their running back, has just been too good and and I, I think that they uh they have something going there. So we got another question from Dave in Orange County. Is it appropriate that the internet on my phone literally came back with an error when I tried to Google UCLA football and he put a screenshot? 502. That's an error. The server encountered a temporary error and could not complete your request. Um, no, Dave. It is entirely appropriate. This is rivalry week. Um, all right. And the last question from the Rock crew we got is from D Set. Let's say that for whatever reason, the Pac 12 decides not to have a Pac 12 championship game this year, and the last week is for makeup games. Let's say Colorado beat Utah this week, and we end up playing Colorado. In the eyes of the College Football Playoff Committee, would it make a difference if we were not the official Pac-12 champion this year? Um, I do not think it would make a difference. I think that uh, USC being an undefeated champion would probably uh, undefeated in any way with, with or without the champion tag. I think would be the the ultimate uh, deciding thing there. Although I think, as I've said before, I, I don't I don't expect USC to get into the playoff either way. Just because they haven't played enough games and they haven't played enough good opponents, and they haven't you know won them impressively enough, and they didn't have that that uh, expectations going into the season to begin with, uh, so I wouldn't bet anything on the college football playoff committee jolting USC up, especially from you know where they stand now. They're just too far back. They'd need a huge win over someone big in order to justify moving them up. You know, twelve places, but but in terms of of the discussion around is USC the Pac-12 title winner or not? I, I don't think that would be relevant. I think being undefeated would be the most relevant thing. If stuff got crazy and uh, and and ultimately USC was in that contention, um, that would be that would be the thing that I would uh, that I would expect. All right, so on Twitter we got questions from uh, Top Trojan fan. If USC beats UCLA this week, uh, should the Pac-12 place Colorado and USC in the championship game? um, I, well, let's say if Colorado beats Utah and USC beats UCLA, if Washington can't play, I say yes. If Washington can play, I say North versus South. And it sucks, but I also would say USC, USC, Colorado play next week no matter what and then and then Washington oregon play next week and then crown a champion you know the next week but that's that's me living a pipe dream if they're not willing to do that then um then uh then I don't care <laughs> have USC play somebody I think USC Colorado would be certainly intriguing uh but I'm also, but I also don't know which opponent would tell us more about USC. I I, I genuinely don't, so I'm sort of flummoxed on that one. Oh, uh, we got a question from Jarell. After Colorado versus Washington game canceled, USC versus Colorado for Pac-12 championship? Question mark. Uh, yeah, that pretty much is in line with uh, what we just talked about. I guess. I mean, I think we're counting a lot of chickens before they hatch, though, on all sides when we're having these discussions. Um. All right. Rob Cuddy asks, more concerned with UCLA's offense versus USC's defense or USC's offense versus UCLA's defense, which is more critical? Uh, I would say that um, USC's offense versus UCLA's defense is ultimately more critical and ultimately where I'm more concerned because I think that USC's offense should still be in this scenario Given that USC's defense has the tougher job, which does make it concerning, but it is the tougher job, it is vital that USC's offense take advantage of every opportunity given to them by UCLA's defense, which is the weaker unit. And score a lot of points so that it doesn't matter what happens on the other side of the field. Now, would it be? Well, I mean, I would love it if USC's defense is able to hold UCLA's offense to 15 points, and then it doesn't really matter what USC's offense does. But I do think it—it's it, a situation where USC's offense has to set the tone and be consistent and 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 find the end zone. And if USC's, you know. C- putting touchdowns together, putting touchdown drives together, I think the game, um, it won't really matter what's going on on the other side of the ball. Uh, at least not unless it's an extreme scenario where UCLA is out there scoring eight points on every drive and, and uh, absolutely you know manhandling USC's defense, which I don't think will happen, but I do think USC's defense could end up in a situation where they give up a few touchdowns, but those should be canceled out by firepower that USC has on offense. I'm just looking for USC to live up to that firepower. All right. Last question here from LJ. These rivalry games make me nervous. I always feel the underdog team, i.e. UCLA, go into it with a lot more spirit and effort than the favored team, i.e. USC. Do you think that will be the case this weekend? I, I think that there is a case to be made that uh, UCLA will come in saying, you know, we battled Oregon and we battled back against Colorado And USC um, could be sort of living on the airs that they put up in that first quarter against Washington State. But let's be frank, USC wasn't that good after the first quarter against Washington State. And uh, on defense they were, but on offense I think that they had that one really good quarter and a little bit of the second quarter was good. And then they sort of just sat on their hands. And you hope that they don't lose that momentum going into this week. Uh, the one thing I will say is I think that USC has been motivated all season. I think that uh, I wouldn't be concerned about USC lacking motivation coming into this week. I would just be more concerned with, um, you know, preparation being strong enough on all sides of the ball to get it done. So, yeah, rivalry games are, are they are they are difficult. They are things that make you nervous for a reason. But, uh but but if that happens it'll be because this is what happens with rivalry games that I, I think going into the game I would expect usc to 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 go in with the with the necessary um energy but energy might not be enough to to get out of this one. Uh, if if it comes down to UCLA just having better game plan than USC, you know, game plans matter. At least that's my, that's my perspective on, uh, on this. So, all right, this is a much longer episode than I thought I would do. But then again, I always end up talking for much longer than i should on a solo pod so um yeah here we go uh thank you guys as always for listening um it's uh it's a bummer to not have michael here i hope i hope that was uh sufficiently um informative and entertaining but i know that it's it's much more engaging when you have um the conversational style that michael and Abel, michael and i are uh, are are able to do and that we focus on doing so um i just you know hope you guys live with this one for the time being michael should be back uh for future episodes carcast uh we'll we'll get him ready for the carcast we'll have him downing honey and all sorts of other cough suppressants to make that happen but uh yeah we'll catch you guys on saturday night after usc ucla and we'll have a whole bunch to talk about then and uh and hopefully get into a more normal game week next week so thank you guys again as always you can find us on uh, on twitter at ran of troy on facebook facebook.com slash of troy um you can catch us on every podcatcher that that's out there leave a review a uh, five-star review to help support the show you can also support the show on patreon patreon.com slash of troy where we are um you know when <laughs> when i am not Unhealthy, <laughs> putting out uh, bonus episodes, which, uh, you know, next week we'll have the rewatch and, and the bonus episodes that normally would be up. And we apologize because it's been such a difficult, uh, <laughs> you know, difficult 10 days or so. Um, I, that's the one thing I can say for certain about COVID 19, um, at least my experience with it. And I know everyone's experience is very diff- different, but um, just to. <laughs> just to like explain explain it um i went through uh, my all my nyquil and dayquil within a couple days uh, the stuff that i had and so then we had to order um we had to get a a delivery of uh, groceries and stuff like that because we can't go out to get stuff and uh, we got another pack of dayquil and nyquil and I thought, oh, this will be enough. It'll get us through. You know, there's four, four, four nights of, uh, of, of, of doses for Michael and I. That'll get us through. I've never had a flu that lasted more than that. And uh, we got to the fourth night and realized, oh crap, <laughs> this thing is still going strong. So we had to get another order of more Dayquil, more Nyquil um it's just it's just never ending it's going on uh on <laughs> eight or nine days now so uh i am very glad to report that i'm on the on the upswing feeling significantly better today uh well enough to, to do this podcast but uh it is no joke guys it is no joke um so that's where we're at and and thank you so much to all the well-wishing uh, that we've got from everybody on Twitter and from other places wishing us well and, and giving us support we very much appreciate that um, it, we as I said we you know we we got through it but it does help when you've got people you know dropping a line and showing that they do care uh, which is, uh, is always very heartwarming so thank you uh, uh, sincere sincere thanks to all of you for that and uh, yeah just looking forward to get back to normal so uh that's how we're going to end this particular show. This very odd, strange, you know, uh, UCLA preview. And uh, we'll be back later with uh, with the CarCast. So take care, everybody. Stay safe. Uh, be safe. Be careful. Uh, be diligent. And uh, yeah, have a good weekend. See ya.